of translation? Are, are, is it possible that they can do this by themselves? Uh, can they really be equipped to do this? And the answer is no, they aren't ready at this moment. But uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't equip them. We shouldn't work with them to get them ready. And that's that's the key there, that we're, we're trying to equip them. And if we never do so, then they never will be ready. Um, so we're working alongside them to get them to the point where they can use these tools and uh, and develop these resources in Spanish so that the languages that speak Spanish as a second language have access to Bible translation tools that they can use for themselves. Let's look at, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, the very last three verses. This is Peter's closing to his letter. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. 1 Peter 5, 12 through 14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother to you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying, that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, salutes you, and so does Marcus, my son. Greet you, one another, with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to those who are scattered, who are in a foreign land or who are in foreign circumstances. Thank you that it speaks to us as people that is not mystical, it's not uh, without reality for today, but that it meets us where we are, that it encourages us, it gives us strength for tomorrow, for our real lives. Thank you that we can see your word, read it, take it in, and apply it directly to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If we look at these verses, we want to first kind of orient ourselves to what the verses are saying, but also we want to then step back a moment and get a bigger picture of the theme, the, the why, did, why did Peter end his letter this way? So first of all, we see by Silvanus. Who's Silvanus? Silvanus is another name for Silas, Paul's uh, co-worker Silas. Years ago, I took a trip uh, through the mountains of Myanmar, and it was one of those uh, trips that about a week ahead, I asked how, how long would this drive be? And they said, oh, it'll be about eight hours. And then the day before we were to take the trip, I asked how long it would be, and they said, oh, it'll be about ten hours. When I got into this taxi, this old 1980s uh, Toyota Corolla, 
and we started off for the, to, to head through the mountains. I asked how long it would be, and they said, oh, it'll be about 13 hours. Uh, and I should have known it was going to be a rough trip. When I, when I got into the back seat and I had the, the middle seat in the back, uh, a friend of mine, Paul, got in on one side, and then Silas got in on the other side. And when you're taking a trip with Paul and Silas, you should know that things are not going to go that smoothly. It was a long, long, rough trip, but um, we actually did make it. But this is Silas, uh, Paul's, Paul's companion on, on his uh, missions trip, his second missionary journey. And Peter says, By Silvanus, Silas, a faithful brother to you, as I suppose. Now this, as I suppose, isn't... Um, he's unsure. It's that it's by his estimation. What theologians and biblicists uh, believe is that most likely Silas penned this letter, and then these last three verses perhaps are the only part of this letter actually written by Peter's hand. And the reason for this would be that uh, in this in this time, uh, of course, this letter was going to be carried by Silas, by a courier. And you have to know, do you trust this guy? Uh, what, what affirmations do you have that this, this man is genuine and that this letter is genuine? So Peter is adding this, this closing uh, to the letter so that uh, Silas has a testimony saying, yes, this is legitimate, and also saying that Silas is to be trusted. You see, there's no hotels, really, at this point. So Silas, particularly that would be safe for Silas to stay in. So as a Christian, Silas is going to go to these scattered churches that are, that are being persecuted throughout Asia, and he's going to read this letter but he's going to need to stay in people's homes. So he needs this recommendation from Peter to say, yes, he is truly Silas. You may have heard of him, this faithful brother who has worked with Paul, and I'm vouching for him. I, I'm esteeming him as one who is faithful so he can be trusted. Then Peter goes on, I have written briefly, exhorting, or encouraging, testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. That this, this letter has been, has been written to as an encouragement speaking of their standing in the faith, their standing in the truth that they are, they have been given the grace of God that through faith they have put their faith and trust in Christ and have received the gift of salvation. He later, uh, he, he continues to say, the church that is at Babylon, that's probably a code word for Rome, elected together with you, salutes you. So he's saying that 
the, the, the church at Rome, which could have been seen as, oh, wow, I, I wish I was part of that church. And think of how smart the people are there and how educated they are there. But we're just this, these little scattered churches. And yet, Peter's reminding them, no, they're, they were chosen just like you who believe have been chosen. And this is, this is exactly the same way Peter started the letter in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, starts out, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. This is a, a, a parallel to the closing. The salutation is, is very similar to the closing. But he's saying, those of you who have believed, you have a foundation, you have this, this uh, surety that you have been chosen by God through, through your belief. And, and Peter uses the first two chapters, the first chapter and then the first half of the second chapter, to go through reaffirming how strong the foundation is for them in the grace of God. And he builds to that pinnacle in chapter 2 where he, he declares over them, you are a chosen generation or a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is, this is an audacious claim that Peter has made here because he's taking a direct quote from Exodus that was spoken over the, the Israelites and he's now applying it to the church. And he's saying to a people who have been cast out, he's saying no, Yes, you have been cast out, perhaps by your family. Perhaps your family has rejected you, but you're a chosen family, a chosen generation. You have a new family. You've been adopted by the Father through His grace, through, through faith. You've been brought to the Father by the Son, and because you are now in Christ, you are in the Son, you have a new father, a new family. You are a royal priesthood. They have lost their priests. They are no longer following their priests. And so, who is, who is your priest, Christian? Well, you are a royal priesthood with a high priest, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us. And a holy nation, they have lost, they are no longer participating in the, the pagan rituals around them. They are no longer worshipping the emperor of, of, of Rome. And so they feel out of place in their own nation. But he's saying you are a holy nation. That's who he's, been, who he's made them. But here in chapter 5, when he's closing out the letter, he's reaffirming this by saying, the church that is at Babylon or Rome, elected together with you, salutes you. 
He's also saying that it's the, this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. That, that both the church that's in Rome and the church that's scattered that he's addressing, both of them are standing on the foundation of the grace of God. So their circumstances, while they may be unsure, while they, they may not know what tomorrow holds for a persecuted church, they know this for sure, that they stand on the grace of God, and that cannot be shaken. And then we look at uh, the last phrase in, in verse 13, and so does Marcus, my son. Now probably this is, this is Mark, the, the author of the Gospel of Mark, which uh, gives the Gospel, the, the life of Christ, uh, from Peter's perspective. So probably Peter and Mark were working on the gospel at this time. And then we see verse 14, Greet you one another with a kiss of charity or self-sacrificing love. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to get to that verse in a, in a few minutes here. We need to back up and talk about What's happening, what happened behind the scenes 15 years ago before 1 Peter was written and given to Silas? 15 years ago, the church was, was just starting out. Peter had, um, had already gone to Cornelius' house and eaten with Gentiles. And this was a major, major thing. Peter had never before, prior to this, Peter had never once uh, eaten in a Gentile's home. And yet, because of his vision and because of the messengers from uh, Cornelius, he then went to uh, this man's house and ate with him because... He brought the gospel, they received Christ, and they received the Holy Spirit. And there was evidence of that. And there was suspicion in Jerusalem. So Peter had to go back to Jerusalem and give testimony that, yes, indeed, truly, these Gentiles have received Christ. There was something going on in Antioch and the, the Christians in, in Jerusalem wanted to know about it. So they sent Barnabas as, a, as a, a representative to find out what was going on. And Barnabas goes to Antioch and he discovers that uh, there's all these uh, newly called Christians uh, there. And that they are, are new believers in Christ. And it's exploding. The church is just exploding, so, so Barnabas needs help, and so he goes and gets Paul. He gets Paul and brings him back, and they teach in Antioch uh, for some time, and then they decide that it's time to go plant churches elsewhere. So Barnabas and Paul plan this missionary journey, and they take with them John Mark. A young man, John Mark. And, and John Mark, uh, partway through the trip, 
he bails on the trip. He, he does not complete the trip and he has to go home mid-trip. Now, Connie and I have led a number of missions trips and a couple times we have had co-workers, uh, people who have come with us uh, that were not able to complete the trip or they were not able to complete their tasks that they were brought on the trip for. It is one of the hardest things we have done to ensure this person's safety as they are sent home, uh, to then uh, recover from the lack of a, a, a person who had a specific role on this trip, to be able to, to handle that, it is extremely disruptive and it, it, it puts the entire trip at risk. So, so this was a great burden on Paul and his band. And Paul is, is just, he's breaking ground here. He's, he's going into places that, that know nothing of Christ and he's working hard to plant churches and to have one of his team members discontinue the trip must have been uh, extremely hard for them. Paul comes home from that trip and he goes to the Jerusalem Council. And they are, are asking questions about how is, this, how, how is this Christianity among the Gentiles? How is it working? And they, they want to come to, deci- to some decisions. And Paul is very forcefully arguing against uh, adding the law onto the gospel. He comes home from that trip. They come back to Antioch. And at some point, Peter joins him in Antioch. And it's at that point where Peter is is, uh, fellowshipping with the Gentiles in Antioch and he he, uh, is eating with them, alongside of them. But then some men from Jerusalem come and Peter stops eating with the Gentiles. Even Barnabas starts eating with the Jews instead of with the Gentiles. And Paul rebukes Peter at this point and says, you know better. He tells them that this is not how it's supposed to be in the body of Christ, that we now are all the same in Christ, and that to teach something else is to bring a different gospel. To add anything to faith in Christ is to bring a different gospel. And, and that these, and then he, Paul writes all of this in Galatians, and he explains that that adding circumcision, in this case, to the gospel is a, is a false gospel. It's not faith in Christ by grace that's given to, to us. So uh, they, they go through all of this, and then uh, Paul says, it's time for me to go on another trip. And Barnabas says, Yes, and we should bring John Mark. We should give him another chance. And Paul says, absolutely not. I am not going to bring John Mark. There's a great division between Barnabas and Paul at this point over this issue of whether or not they're going to bring John Mark on the trip. And so they go their separate ways, and Paul brings Silas with them 
on the trip. They, on his trip, and Barnabas takes John Mark with him. So why am I giving you this, this long history of Acts uh, and, and bringing in all these people? Because in chapter 5 of First Peter, we see, by Silvanus, or Silas, a faithful brother to you, as I suppose, and we see that so does Marcus, my son. In these three verses, we have both names of the people that were involved in this, this great dispute. Silas was the one who replaced Marcus in this case, John Mark. John Mark was the one who blew it. He had his chance, he went on the first trip, and he failed. John Mark is the one who, who Paul said, no way is he coming on the second trip. Now later Paul says that Mark is a benefit to me, a blessing to me, send him, please. But at this point, Silas is Mark's replacement. And yet, we're seeing in these verses that somehow they're working together. Somehow they're working simultaneously alongside Peter that, that Mark is writing the book of Mark, that Silas is writing this, this book of First Peter and then carrying it to these churches for him. And it's only by the grace of God that these two men can be mentioned in the same, set, the same paragraph together. There's just this beautiful thing that, that, that Silas, this faithful brother, who has been kept by the grace of God, is, is now in the, in the same sentence as Mark, this, this one who failed, this one who, uh, who, who fell on his face, but got back up again. It's by the grace of God that he's, he's able to participate in the ministry. And what a way he's participating in the ministry. He's writing one of the four Gospels. He's writing the book of Mark. How beautiful that is that, that this, this man who, who didn't cut it, didn't make it, in God's grace, has a beautiful ministry. Working alongside Peter. You see, that's only by the grace of God. All of us have this, this uh, idea that there are those Christians who, who remain faithful and then, and then there's me. That, that I, I fall on my face. I, 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 I blow it over and over again. This passage gives confidence and assurance to both of those people. The, the faithful brother, the one who has remained faithful, 
He cannot look to himself and say, yes, it's, it's by my strength that I've remained faithful. That No, it's by God's grace. This grace that Peter is testifying of and encouraging the, these churches with, it's by grace. That's what has kept Silas as a faithful brother. And Marcus as a son the grace of God is what has allowed him to be, to, to, to be treated as Peter's son. To, to participate in this, in this beautiful ministry. To be alongside one of the apostles and, and hear his testimony of Christ. And to write down the very words of God. How amazing is that? That through forgiveness and through mercy and through grace, Mark is, is this beautiful servant of God. And then verse 14, greet you one another with a kiss of charity or a kiss of self-sacrificing love. Now, in junior high, we would read verses like this and we would kind of snicker because you could just, you know, oh, wow, we, get to, we, can, we can kiss people? Uh, you know, are people going to be kissing in church? Um, I guess we don't, we don't believe that. What Peter is talking about here is how you esteem one another, how you uh, think of each other in the church. Jesus tells a story of a father who had two sons. And the younger son told his father that he wanted his inheritance early. He wanted it now. And the father had to divide his life, divide his goods in half in order to give the son the inheritance that he asked for. The son runs off to the city and just squanders it, just throws it all away on, on sinful living. And then the, the, the sons, uh, of course, all the son's friends disappear after the money runs out, and he is trying to survive, and he's starving, and he actually thinks of eating the pig's swill. And he realizes that the servants of, the fa of his father have it better than he has it. And so he goes back to his father and his father sees him from a long way off and runs to him and falls on him and kisses him. You see, the father is treating him as a son. The father's not treating him as a servant. The father's not going to, to fall on and kiss some servant that shows up. But he's showing the son, no, you are family. I'm treating you as one of us. You belong here. You didn't belong out there. You belong here. You are part of our family. You are ours. You belong to us. And that kiss, that's communicating all of that. 
And so when Peter says, greet you one another with a kiss of love, of charity, he's telling them, treat one another as a loving family. Treat one another, greet one another, live out life with one another as family, as a family that cares for one another, that has affection for one another, that loves one another. Notice, how does Peter refer to Silas? A faithful brother. Marcus, a son. The, the, the church that is at Babylon, it's together with you that there's a camaraderie, there's a partnership, there's an equality between these churches that between the church at Rome and between these, these churches that are scattered, living under persecution. And so for us this morning, what does this teach us? It teaches us that by standing on the foundation of the grace of God, verse 12, the true grace of God wherein you stand, that that foundation is true, that it's sure. And from that gift, that grace that's been given to us, we can then live in spite of the circumstances around us, in spite of what's going on in our world. Right now, we're, I'm speaking to an empty auditorium, and I'm uh, talking to you over the Internet. Why are we doing that? Because there's world-changing circumstances taking place right now. It's, it, things are, are happening daily that we did not expect yesterday. But we know what is for sure. We know that the grace we have received from God, the salvation we have received from God, is absolutely sure. That is not going to change when everything around us is changing. My salvation does not change. I am held by the Father. I am adopted as a son. And because of that foundation, and because we all who have accepted Christ receive that and, and stand on that foundation, we can then treat others, greet others, live and, and treat others as family, as brothers, as sons, as sisters, as mothers, as fathers. So as we hear about difficulties, as we hear about the, the challenges of our circumstances, we as a church should be thinking, what if that was my mother that was going through that? What would I do for her? What if that was my brother that had that need or lost his job? What would I do for him? What if it was my son 
who was struggling with fear and anxiety? How, how would I approach him? What compassion would I show on him? How would I, I treat him with love? Because that's how the church is supposed to be. It's not, it's not simply a, 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 a throwaway greeting of, oh, yes, you know, I'll pray for you. Yes, pray for one another. Absolutely. But, but give it some teeth. It should not be, uh, be warm and be filled and, and go your own way. No. I care for you. I, I, I hurt when you hurt. That it, it should be that as if my own family is going through these circumstances. I should feel it to that depth. To that, that level of love. That when I hear of one of our brothers in Christ, or even a sister church, as is referenced in this passage, when I hear what they're going through, that it's as if it's happening to my own family. And we should consider, what do we do? What is our role? Peter exhorts them, peace be with you. He encourages them, all that are in Jesus Christ. You see, we've been given peace through Christ, even in the midst of the turmoil around us and the confusion and the difficulty and the challenges in front of us, we can rest in Christ. We can rest on Him and know that we are at peace with Almighty God. And that supersedes what's happening around us in our world, that we have this great peace that's offered to us. And then, because we can rest in that peace, because we are standing on the grace of God, we can step into difficult situations and we can bring that peace. We can share that peace. We can, we can explain to them that Christ, Christ's love, Christ's grace, Christ's gift of salvation is greater than what we're going through. That peace can be brought to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That peace can be brought to a, a family in need. That peace can be brought to, to young men and women who are, who are struggling and unsure of what the future holds. And we can tell them, no, Christ offers peace, but we can treat them as a son or as a daughter. We can go to the, the elderly. We can treat them as a mother or as a father with honor and respect and love because we are coming from a place of surety, of truth, in standing in the grace of God and a place of peace and rest because we know who our Savior is. We know where our hope lies. We know where our future is. Because we are in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die in our place, to pay the price for our sin, that we can live in peace and hope and rest in you. Help us to to demonstrate that hope, to live out that peace, to love one another, to greet one another with with self-sacrificial love, that that would be our testimony, that that would be our reputation in this community, that those people at the community church, they, they love each other. They'll bend over backwards for each other. They treat one another as family. That that would be what we're known for. That would be our reputation, especially during this time. Lord, protect our loved ones. Protect our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to to live confident in the grace that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.